Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. That's one of our uh, Christmas holiday traditions. I will buy the uh, kids a book and, damn it, make them read. Christmas Eve. No, uh, buy them a book every year that kind of gets maybe some stage that they're going through. And Mike Yam's book, Fried Rice and Marinara, really uh, seemed to hit the spot. We'll talk about that more with Anna when she joins the show coming up later this hour. Five at five, still ahead. Got some punch and audio still ahead. We're also going to visit with Pat Casey, legendary baseball coach. I think Pat Casey is the greatest success story in the history of Oregon sports. Period. End stop. Not a better story of success in our state than this guy. We've brought him on the show. We've talked about him growing up in the state, irrigating farmland, moving those uh, irrigation pipes. We've talked about his connection with the University of Portland. We've talked about George Fox. We've certainly talked about how he built Oregon State baseball into a national power. He's going into the College Baseball Hall of Fame. Was announced late last week. I sent him a text on Friday. I said, We gotta get you on. Pat Casey, three time national champion, five time national coach of the year, joining us now. How are you? Hey man, I'm good. How are you? I'm well. I think you're the greatest sports success story in the state. Well, uh I'll tell you what, there'll be a lot of debate about that. There's been some great uh stories in this state. Um I've been around to follow a lot of them and uh just feel fortunate that I'm I'm someone that got to um, uh, experience uh, being in 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 the state that he grew up in and and, and mm. follow his his dream and and, and then eventually get into coaching and uh, just be part of the history of Oregon sports. So it's I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's I think it's a great story. And you know, you obviously had chances and opportunities to leave. Other people tried to hire you away. Was it the connection with the state that kept you here, or was it just kind of different circumstances each time? Well, it, it, it always was, uh, you know, my family first. You know, the state's uh, changed quite a bit over the last uh, 15 years, you know, from when I was growing up. And uh, so, uh, you know, I'm not sure it was the state that kept me here as much as it was the family, the players, you know, as uh, – I just had some weird things happen to me. You know, I got on that plane the first time I, I went to really look at a job I thought I would take at Notre Dame and I'm flying into Chicago, you know, um, incognito, you know, stealth. And I guy walks on the plane and his bags are bigger than him. And it was Kevin Gunderson. And I said, oh, my gosh, look at Susan who's behind his Gundy, you know. So, <laughs> you know, I just I think it was the players, just the uh, just my feeling about how, you know, uh, my family and their you know, 
their situation, their comfort, their familiarity. You know, my wife wanted it. She would have been fine doing anything. She would have supported it. But, you know, I, I don't know, just just a whole bunch of things. But I, I, I feel very fortunate that I was given the opportunity uh, to coach and, and, and given that, you know, early on when we could have been a lot better, uh, you know, they could have could have went another direction. So I, I'm, I really, I'm very humbled by that opportunity. Give me an idea because often we'll hear coaches or people who will set goals and they'll say things like, I want to win a national championship and they don't get anywhere near it. And yet you go to a place that had not had history with baseball. You win three of them. You set the table for success beyond you. 100 players selected in the draft. 20 go on to play in the major leagues, more than 20. You know, was it, it, it I'm sure it's incremental day-to-day stuff, but when you sat down at Oregon State to build that thing, what were you thinking? Well, I, 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 I want to find that first press book that came out because I know I said that I, I think we can compete regionally and eventually compete nationally, and I believe that. Um, I didn't have a blueprint for it, I, I, uh, I, but I always felt like um, when I did something that there was something more than just doing it. Um, they, at the time, didn't have the opportunities that we had when we got into the South. There wasn't that ability to play a Stanford or an Arizona State or a USC or UCLA. And therefore, you know, that that was a big part of us being able to expand and do the things but it's just um, just a lot of things happened. You know, we we had to have a stadium, and at the time, you know, the athletic director he admitted he said, "I'm up against it, man. I can't help you." But if you find somebody, go for it. And when I came back with, told him I'd met a family that wanted to give me a piece of property worth five million dollars. I think he's about ready to fall out of his chair. But um, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, you know, God Stadium starts, you know, uh, becoming a reality, and and getting in the South became a reality, and. Um, you know, just a, a step at a time, you know, the 98 club, I, I just, it, it really hurts me to think that that team didn't get a chance to play in a regional because they, we couldn't RPI out because of the league we were in the, the format that we were in at that time was the North. And uh, that team, in my opinion, was a world series team that they played mm-hmm. well in the regional. You know, everyone always looked and I grew up in California, but it, you know, I was born in the state of Oregon and everybody always looked up to the Pacific Northwest and said, you can't play baseball there because of the weather. And then you proved you could not only play there, you could win it all there. And, you know, you know, in the early years, did you did you fight that stigma? Did you fight, you know, players saying, oh, I don't know if I can go up there rains all the time. How did you combat that? Well, we absolutely did, John. We, we, we fought that all the time. I had good players leave the state that said, geez, coach, I'd love to go there, but I've been playing in the rain my whole my whole career, you know, Um just one step at a time. And it was just convincing somebody that, yeah, you know, I, I kind of bought into that a little bit too. You know, I, there was days I'd say, man, wouldn't it be unbelievable what we could do if I was practicing outside yeah. from November till the, till the time, you know, and then I started thinking, well, if I think that way, how do I go out and recruit a kid and try to convince him that that's not accurate? So, you know, when a guy said it rain, I said, yeah, it rains. There ain't no doubt, but you're going to be in a field house doing some things. A guy out there and with great weather, isn't going to be doing, you're going to create, we're going to create some fundamental habits that are going to change what kind of player you are. And um, you're going to be around your players. It's going to be a tighter group of guys. And just things like that that brought in one guy. And we were very, very fortunate, too, to have that run of guys there that you're well aware of that, you know, eventually took us to the World Series. You know, that, those, you know if you think about it, there were some guys, 
Trevor Crow was one of them. He was a kid that played uh, at Arizona's first round pick, and he was from Westview. He's one of the guys that said, you know, I don't want to play in the rain. And um, uh, Jed Lowry was at North Salem, and he went to Stanford. There, there was more guys in there than just guys like Darwin and Jacoby and Buck. That the, that time of Oregon baseball was fantastic, and I have tremendous respect for both those guys, and they were both very good to me in the recruiting process. Um, and and um, so. You know, just we 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 hit we hit it on the head right there when we when we got that group of guys to come in, and we could, you know, we we didn't feel like we were chasing numbers uh, as we were before, and um, you know, I, I got some real encouragement from Mike Gillespie at USC, who probably was one of the two or three best coaches I ever coached against, the most difficult. Um, uh, and he was a bitch to coach against now because, you know, you, he would do anything. I mean, they would double steal, they would drag, they would push, they'd hit and run, they'd start a run or they'd delay. Um, and so, you know, he just had to prepare for everything, but he, for some reason, he, he liked me and he, um, supported us coming in the South. Um, and then when we won it, he wrote me a letter that I just, uh, I still have it. It's funny. I didn't know I had it, but they were cleaning all my, you know, uh, not very good about putting stuff up. So I had boxes of stuff down there. Mitch called me and said, Hey Case, I got a bunch of stuff for you. So anyway, uh, this, you know, a lot of things happen, man. You know, I was fortunate, um, to be in the right place. Uh, and I think you create the right time. I think you create the right scenarios, but, um, you know, um, we, I, I had some great guys come in here and then, then it was about everything. It was about, and I remember saying this at the very beginning. I'd go down to Bob Burton's restaurant on Friday and give away tickets, uh, to ten tickets to each one of the guys on the dugout club boards so that we people go to the game. And I said, someday you guys are going to be buying these, man. I got it, <laughs> but I got to have you. I got to have the dugout club. So it was, it was our managers and our and our boosters and our doctors and our equipment people. And um, you know, I went to a wedding this weekend. And there was a, a kid there, and he was a manager in one of the teams. He goes, Coach, the thing I love about most is everybody treats me like I was one of the players, you know. And I was just a manager. I said, no, no, you're not just something. You're the best at whatever you do, man. You weren't just a manager. You were a great manager. And so uh, – and I felt that way. And, um, you know, so uh, good things uh, happened. Uh, and they started happening quite often after a while. I think one of the most challenging things that coaches run into is – you know, players who aren't playing, keeping them engaged. And I heard over and over from guys who played for you that everybody felt like they were part of it. Is there an art to that, a science to that, to making everybody like that manager feel like they're part of what you're doing? Well, um, the, you know, I think part of it is just the way I was raised. But I think, you know, and I and I and I tell you, there are players that I wish I wish I'd have done a better job with of, of that, uh, especially early when I wasn't as I didn't communicate as well uh, as I wanted to. Just wasn't wise enough to um, understand that. But um, I think it's it's you want to have to bring guys in. You have to make them. And I and I do and I feel like that. I I, I feel like that that we are all great we all have this unbelievable unimaginable potential that lies within us to be great and 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 it's just hard to get in there and and then make it come because it takes work and and when i told randy that i meant that i meant like okay if you're not good enough to be a baseball player you know i mean that, that that's not it there's nothing wrong with that what do you want you know i want to be part of the team i want to be part of this deal come on man be a manager and i uh, Morgan Pearson, who helps me with my foundation, uh, he was the same way. He wanted to be a baseball player, and I, I told him one day, Morgan, you're you're a good high school player, you're just not good enough to play here. 
And he said, I want to be around it. I said, no problem. I, I want you around it. And, and um, he ended up working for the um, Texas Rangers for a while in their IT deal. And uh, uh, just, just things like that, you know, it's easy to see uh, Jacoby and, and, and Darwin and, and, and uh, Conforto and, and um, you know, the people, Kwani and Trev. And, and of course, Rutschman is just, you know, you, you, uh, you, those guys are easy to identify. But if you go talk to those guys, um, they'll tell you what, how well they handled and how well they treated people that were in our program and around our program. Adley Rutschman, everyone's watching him. Nobody's surprised who saw him at Oregon State. But what makes him so good? <laughs> well, you know, um, he's got the it factor, and you know what that is because you've been you cover sports. You know, you go to to a venue, you go to an arena, you go someplace. It's there. And no matter what, yeah. You, yeah, you say that guy over there, I know something's going to, you know, might not happen tonight, but he's still, he's still, you know, carrying this club. He had the it factor. He had the size. He had um, um, the, the, the work ethic. He had the, the pedigree. Um, but he had this, this passion about him. There are times when there are guys that are very talented that sometimes you have to really try to, um, you know, get them to understand you got to do this every day. Sometimes you got to kick those guys in the pants a little bit because um, they are good and they've been good and they've been told they're good. And, you know, um, they've been given a lot of uh, pats on the back and then all of a sudden they get hit in the face and, and it had never happened and they don't know how to get up. Adley was never, he was never going to let anything get, get by him that was because he didn't work hard enough or he didn't, he didn't have enough passion unbelievable parents um and i I do think that there is a a a gene pool of what 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 your anatomy allows you to do and then um he's he's six two two fifteen that's that's pretty good foundation um but just 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 the dude's overall character who he is the players loved him i mean this guy was he was one of the guys man and he didn't he didn't try to separate himself as far as i want to be recognized or anything like that um had the athleticism of a shortstop at a, at a, at a catching position, which is uh, pretty unique. Yeah, and I, I think, too, you watched him, and he, when he was in college and he'd go on a tear, I thought, you know, he's had a great game or a great weekend, and it just never seemed to stop. Like, you know, at what point did you go, uh, this is just Adley, this is going to be who he is? Well, you know, even his freshman year, you know, it's people, he didn't start switch hitting, you know, you know, he wasn't born a switch hitter. He started late out to eighth grade, something like that, ninth grade. Um, so he hit, I think, about 280 right-handed as a freshman, and he only hit about 180 left-handed. I think he hit about 230, 235 as a freshman. But there were times when he was a freshman, a lot of times when he was at the plate in a big situation, that I was extremely glad that he was at the plate. I didn't care what his batting average. I knew that when the situation was big, he was going to meet meet it. And he... he 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 always seemed to find a way to sacrifice fly or walk mm-hmm. or get a bunt down or get a hit, even when he was not hitting 400. Um, so um, knew right away he was going to be something special um, as a, as a leader. Knew right away he was going to be something special as a as a defender, and knew that he had big potential as a hitter. I don't think you ever dream the guy is going to do what he did and hit 400 back-to-back years yeah. and break the you know, most hits in the World Series. Just just the things he did repeatedly over and over were uh, 
came, became very obvious that he was going to be something different. Pat Casey okay. going into going to the College Baseball Hall of Fame. That'll happen in February. Where were you? What was your reaction when you found out, Pat, you're going into the class, you're going into the Hall of Fame? <laughs> well, you know, I, it wasn't like I wasn't overwhelmed or anything. Like, you know, I was, it's an unbelievable honor. Um, I just got a call, and they, you know, they let me know that I was – uh, you know, I just I was just very grateful. I was driving my car, matter of fact, as Susan and I were driving <laughs> somewhere, and um, you know, uh, I was just thought uh, it, it just it, it made me a uh, little bit. I was just kind of like taken back a little bit because of the fact that I go, "Come on, man, I'm not that old." I thought all these guys who went to the Hall of Fame were really, really old, man. I I, I wanted to say I should be in a uniform, you know. So, it, it, but it made me. It's kind of like when people say, yeah, you know, I kind of have this flashback. I mean, it made me think like of just some certain things that happened at Oregon State that, that were always special to me. And they kind of happened like a flash, 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 like four or five mm-hmm. of them. But I just I, I said, wow, man, thanks. I just it's an honor. And um, I'm, I'm fully aware that it was all those players that came there that put the made the thing happen. And I mean, and they did. And I, I'll tell you what, you, you know we as coaches get a little bit excited and sentimental or, you know, get really hype on our guys. But I'll tell you, our guys were special and, and they made a special place and they continue to make it a special place. And um, it's kind of cool. I was really, really taken back, but it was, it was, um, it's a very, it's a, like every individual award, it's, it's a result of a group effort. And, and um, if I receive it with any type of pride, it is that of representing all those guys that you need up with me and what coaches. You, I mean, just great coaches. What do you say now? Oregon state is in, you know, a fight for its existence along with Washington state. And, you know, you're a guy who's got a lot of love for the conference. I was sad seeing the football season end. Um, but as you, I hear you talking about building Oregon state baseball. I'm hopeful that there's another Pat Casey at Oregon state somewhere that is, going to fight like that for this for this university what do you make of what's going on right now well i i i would probably uh you know um have the same feelings that most of us do here in the state of oregon and that is you know what a what a tremendous conference that the pac-12 has been for so long and to think that that the decision to dissolve was based upon the ability to um have more money in the coffers um being a more, I guess, um, prestigious conference. Um, but it, it it mirrors what's happening in society. And that is that, um, you know, how quickly can I get mine and how much can I get and who does it harm does not matter. And, you know, um, I, I, I don't know all the ins and outs that went down. It's been going down for a long time, obviously. And there have been a lot of things um, that, and a lot of people that are responsible for it, in my opinion. And, you know, the NC2A is one of them. Um, obviously, we see that universities and those that make decisions at universities, in some cases, um, feel like they need to make more money in order to sustain what they want to sustain, which makes it kind of counter to them talking about the student athlete all the time. Um, so um, until the someone comes out and say let's just let's just say what it is and let's try to fix it i don't think it's ever going to get fixed but um the nc2a has allowed um a lot of things to happen to where um 
it doesn't seem like it's college athletics anymore. And um, that's sad. And uh, I'm I'm not sure that it's sustainable where it's at. I'm not sure it's good where it's at. Um, And I don't think it's good uh, for the student athlete. Yeah. And, you know, I know the transfer portal and name image likeness, like, you know, even as you're talking, I'm thinking about in the back of my mind that a generation of coaches that were in your era, you know, you want to do everything for the student athletes. You probably are okay with them sharing in some financial success. And, but the wild west of it doesn't feel at all like college athletics. No. And and that's the problem. And I don't think anybody, you know, who, who's, who's blaming a uh, athlete who's being offered six or $7 million to come and play a year of football for you. I mean, who's blaming the kid? I mean, you know, I mean, I, I don't begrudge him. Uh, I, I just, I just don't think that um, giving someone something they haven't earned is 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 really uh, good for anything. Generally, when someone is um, uh, given something that they haven't earned, they create this false sense of entitlement, and that eventually becomes a uh, uh, inflated sense of need. And um, I don't think there's anybody out there that works for something works hard for something and is rewarded for it, isn't, isn't really proud of it. But I think someone is continually given something, you will eventually drive out the incentive to work at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that the, the student athlete, and like I said, I don't believe it's their fault, but I don't think it's in the best interest of college athletics to say, like you said, Hey, what's the wild, wild West. Um, and, and this kid's, you know, hey, some university gave him four. Okay, you gave him five. How about the NC2A stepping in and, and having a, a role of saying, you know what, let's create some revenue sharing. Let's create a limit on how much each university can. We'll give you a pool of money. We'll give you a number. I don't care what the number is, but whatever that number is, you can't exceed it. That gives, give, they, they are supposed to be the equity center of, of the world. And um, it seems to me over time that they've allowed that to kind of um, – uh, manifests itself that maybe that's not completely the way it is. And if you see a baseball player, they can't have a full ride, but a basketball player can. If you see a soccer girl, she can't have a full ride, can't have three meals, but a football player can. I mean, I'm just thinking that student athletes, I, I wish, I think they should have uh, athletic scholarships for all all sports. Just, yeah. just have a, whatever the limit is, fine. If it's 20 for baseball, 20. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I just think there's so many problems with that that it's not sustainable. And it would be football's a different beast. They need to allow, allow it to be run different, and they now have to have revenue sharing, get a commissioner, run football, yeah. um, have the NC2A um, pour money into some, you know, into some universities and be part of the equation of of NIL money. Have it come from the university and have a limit on it. And if it's $20 million a year for your athletic department, it's $20 million. And at least you'd feel like there's some equity there. But right now, like you say, it's the wild, wild west, you know. Um, and and, and it's, it's hard to imagine that some kid can say, look, I'll come to your university, and I'm just wondering what you have available for me. And that and that's what he's driving his decision on or, or, or her. So um, – I'm not sure that's good for, for anybody involved. And I certainly don't blame the athlete. I, I, I can see where they are uh, benefiting from financial. That's for sure. Are you concerned about Oregon State baseball and what happens 
conference affiliation next year beyond or does the regionality of it make it you know at baseball you could still play stanford you could still play cal you could play arizona arizona state you know you could pick those series up but do you worry at all uh i think you worry a little bit um i i worry a little bit about just just the fact of the connection to a to a big name conference um like you said, you hit it on the head. We can still play Stanford, Cal. You, you know, um, we can still do things like that. And, and and if the Mountain West is the merge, which I I'm, I don't have any idea if it is or not, but if it is, you know, you got Fresno State, you got San Diego State, um, you got you got you know, you got some teams that you can compete with there. And and if you win the league, you're going to host a regional. So uh, that 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 part's a, a good part. Um, but just like when we went to the South, the the um, we had immediate street cred with recruits immediate when we, when we were in the North and I went down and I recruited a kid in the Bay area and he said, you don't play Stanford or you go to Arizona. We don't play Arizona. You don't play Arizona state. You know, you know, when we joined, we had immediate street cred and the first year was, was a very difficult year. There is no question about it, but, um, um, you do worry a little bit about that. Um, obviously Mitch is doing a great job. The club this year is really, really good. And, um, you know, uh, I, I think that momentum is going to help us for sure. Uh, but um, yeah, I think I think you I think you worry about it even if you're. Uh, I think yeah, I think you worry about it if you're a university if you're a student athlete at any university. Yeah. I mean, if I'm a student athlete at University of Washington and I'm a volleyball player, I'm going to say, what? Are we really in that league? Or if I'm at Stanford, am I really? Are we really going to go to the East Coast? Yeah. But I just don't think it's going to happen for non-revenue sports. I just don't know how they they do that. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think ultimately the non-revenue sports are going to end up back in something geographically that may even be called the Pac-12. I mean, I, it should have been thought about by the presidents before they decided to pull. It was all football-driven. We know it. Everybody knows it. And it feels like that could be unwound, but it's going to take Stanford and Cal having to travel to the East Coast for a year or two to figure that out. It's just silly. Uh, Pat, I really appreciate you. Uh, congratulations to you. You've got street cred everywhere now. You're in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> you know, so, you know, anytime you want on the show, you let me know. I love talking with you. Right on, man. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Go be. All right. All right. There he is, Pat Casey. He's going in the College Baseball Hall of Fame in February. Love the storytelling. A lot of wisdom. Leave it here. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Baltimore. Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.